0: Hello, good people. Welcome to The Chris Stefanik Show, the show that helps you find the joy that God made you for in the midst of everyday life. Don't miss us every week as we dive into real issues with real people and answer real questions. God bless you. My friends, thanks so much for being with us again. Have I told you lately that I love you? That was so cheesy. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Someone actually (laughs) wrote in and said, thanks for saying you love us frequently, because I actually think you mean it. And I thought, yeah, I do. And I didn't even know that I say that all the time. But I do mean it. I do pray for you guys. And I'm just grateful that you're watching and sharing the beauty and, and, and joy of life in Christ with us. Um, I, I, uh, we're going to dive into the mercy of God this week. I had this fight with my teenage son um, not long ago. And this happens in homes with teenagers. And it was a low moment as a dad where I found myself thinking, I can't believe my kid's saying this stuff to me. And, and I could tell that he was thinking the same thing. And in one of my better moments as a dad, I cut him off, and I said, "Hey, I forgive you." And he kept talking, so I said it louder. I said, "Hey, I forgive you." He kept talking, so all of us lose lose ourselves sometimes, right? And I put my arms around him and said, "I forgive you." And he cried on my shoulder and said, "I'm sorry, Dad." That's the cross. You know, we sometimes think that we have to have it all together, be perfect to approach the Lord. But the reality is that the the story of our faith is not about our perfect love for him, it's about his perfect love for us. You know, hey, I'm a messed up kid. Yeah, I've noticed. (laughs) And I'm your loving father and I gave everything for you. So this week we're gonna dive into an incredible testimony that really fleshes what that means out and shows the the mercy of God. And oftentimes we have guests on where we, we go into their testimony and then go into their ministry or some topic. We're gonna give this entire episode to this incredible story that shows the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of your Heavenly Father for you. Thanks for being with us. John Edwards. Yes, sir. I love you, man. I
1: love you too. It's Thanks to so you. much, dude. Yeah, it's great to be here with you, brother.
0: Praise God. Yeah. Seriously, man, I love what you do. I love, I love, I love meeting you and hearing your story in Tennessee. Yeah. Before we dive into your, your story, just a guy in the pew. What is it? What's it about? And it's a you.
1: podcast, man. It's a podcast. We're now on YouTube too, so we got a YouTube channel now. But uh, man, it is just a Google podcast. John yeah.
0: Edwards, just a guy. In the just pew. a guy in the pew. And you're lucky to have a name like Edwards because my last name is Stefanic. <laughs> if I'm like, just Google Chris Stefanic, he's like. <laughs> P H F I C I C K. Anyway, well, sometimes when
1: you, when you Google mine, though, you get the psychic guy, John Edward. Like the first time <laughs> when a video, blew up, I was like, man, I did real good. And I realized <laughs> they were searching for a psychic and not me. It's a very depressing day in my life. But anyway, yeah, John Edwards, you can Google that. Just a guy on the pew.com, all of it, and you can find it there. Awesome, brother. Yeah. Okay, so
0: you're not the average Catholic. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Sometimes I feel that way. <laughs> what got you here, dude? Tell, tell, I mean, uh,
0: tell me your whole story. And like yeah. I was saying before, sure. You know, the intro of the show. I, I really I usually we, we we jump past the testimony in yeah. ten minutes, but I know your story, and it, it is it's just an incredible act of yeah. God and yeah. His unearned love and His mercy. And I love how you responded to it. Yeah, thanks. So thanks. So share, brother.
1: Yeah, man. Well, born and raised in Memphis, Tennessee. Still live there now. It's where the ministry is, and. And uh, I was born and raised Baptist, went to an Episcopal school, so I kind of made the rounds. But yeah. um, didn't really, wasn't really popular in school. Uh, went to a, a... Is it because you're so shy? Yeah, <laughs> that was it. Yeah, don't like to talk at all or anything. But no, I, I don't know. I just It was really because I was a Baptist that lived my faith really profoundly. Really? Yeah, and so when I was at school and, and we'd come back from the weekend, kids would say, what'd you do this weekend? And I said, well, I went to... A camp for children with special wow. needs with my youth minister wow. or with this, and they go, dork. I went and I rode my skateboard <laughs> or whatever, you know? And so I was, I was out made fun of That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of that. Um, the only time I was really popular was when it was basketball season because I'm six foot eight. So that helped with and that. You're six foot eight? Yeah, six foot eight, man. I know wow. you can't tell in the chair, but. They told me to shrink down you for you, you. Yeah, so. thank
0: you. By the way, thank you. Thank you to the studio's crew that, you know, because I, sure. I, I get my manliness challenged if, if they don't <laughs> yeah. shrink your chair a little bit. That's so right. I, this is cool. That's thank right. You, <laughs> you pulled the Johnny Carson thing or he said higher than everybody. But no, man,
1: so I went to that school, and, and most of my friends, because I didn't get along with people really well there, uh, I spent all my time in the church, the Baptist church. So it was open three or four days a week to, to young adults, and uh, so I was there going on mission trips. and. And Vacation Bible Schools have a lot of memories of just walking with their children into their baptism, right? Talking to them about if they were really being called by the Lord and making that decision because of their own, uh, you know, discernment or because of pressure from other people. But I just love the Lord. And it was that way until I was about 18 years old. If you were to go to my parents' house, you could find a photo album with me and the same group of kids from diapers till 18. And Memphis is right in the middle of the Southeastern Conference of Colleges. So Mississippi State, Alabama, yeah. All those places. And Memphis is sort of a melting pot of kids' parents that wound up moving to Memphis. It's one of the bigger cities in the area
0: after you they graduated. Know, i got to say this, and not to um, jump ahead too much. Sure. But he, he's, you know, you, you go from this to, to being a coke addict. Yeah. Um, there's, and, I, and we're going to flesh out how and what sure, happened. Sure, sure, yeah. But I wanted to pause here for a second because a lot of people, when their kid goes astray, their first question is, what did I do wrong? Yeah. And I just heard how you were raised. I mean, you're going to church all the time. Yeah. What would you say to the parent who's who's watching right now and thinking my kid is into drugs or my kid, you know, left the faith or an atheist? Like, sure. what did I do wrong? Uh, that wasn't your mom and dad's fault. No, flaws.
1: I would say it's not your fault. Yeah, it's not your fault. We all make choices, right? We all choose our own paths, and you can instill the best of of yourself and of your faith and everything else in children. And God gives us free will, right? So
0: that's that's an annoying part of parenting. That you yeah, can't, you can't work around. Right? Yeah, There's you
1: no- can't keep them <laughs> locked in the room and hit them with the Bible every time they come <laughs> yeah, out. You and could it work around it, but right. you go to jail.
0: That's
1: right. That's yeah, right. So anyway, but you know, my my parents, you know, they took us to church every weekend and all of that. And uh, somewhere along the way, about the time I turned eighteen, with the college stuff, all these kids wanted to go where their parents went. Yeah. So one day they're just all gone. And you know, my bab- my Baptist church, there was no. Young ad- or young adult group after the youth group. So the next age up was my parents' age in a Bible study. So I was like, I don't really want that to be the next experience of my life is to be in a room with 40-year-olds when I'm 18. So yeah. I-, I mean,
0: Now that we're in our 40s, we know yeah, how cool it would've been cool. Are. Yeah, it
1: would've been cool now looking back at it. Ish. <laughs> if you and I were in there, it probably wouldn't have been a place to be. <laughs> yeah, but,
0: right. but We'll just but, keep telling ourselves that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Sorry. So <laughs> long
1: story short, I mean, I looked around, I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be at that time of my life. I enrolled at the University of Memphis because it was in town. I was working for an auto parts place that my dad worked at for 45 years, um, you know, working in the back of a warehouse. Started going to the University of Memphis, and I was on campus with thousands of people. It was a commuter school, so not a lot of people lived there. They were going home and all that stuff. It had no community, and I was Mm. super lonely in my life, man. It was the first time I didn't have friends, and all my friends were off somewhere else.
0: That is Way more dangerous than people realize yeah. spiritually, right?
1: That's what I tell high school students when I give talks to high school students. It's yeah. like, man, you're excited about going to college. Yeah. Why? Freedom. I can put beer in the fridge. I can do whatever. And yeah. I'm like, freedom's a good thing if you know who you are. But it's a very huh. dangerous thing if you don't. Yeah. And at that time of my life, I didn't realize I had father wounds and stuff. So I was on campus. I wanted to find friends in my life. I had one guy I knew. He, he was a rush chairman for a fraternity. I joined that. And that was the last day I went to church for about 12 years of my life. I got in the fraternity and I and I
0: started doing what anybody wanted me to do to be popular, to be liked, all of that stuff. You fe- you just you know you know what scripture comes to mind? What's that? Uh, be sober and alert. Your your opponent, the devil, is prowling yeah. like a roaring lion, looking for someone yeah, to devour. Peter, yeah. right. And when, when you, you watch a nature show, you watch what lions do. <laughs> I, I mean, if they go in the middle of a herd of wildebeest, they're dead. Yeah. I mean, these things are six, eight hundred pounds. They have horns. They have a lot of friends, <laughs> right. you know. Yeah, it's always the one who's outside. Yeah, He's the always looking for the one who's to pick off from the outside of the herd. Yeah, and yeah, campus ministry. I drive this home. You're going off to college campus, dude. Find the campus ministry before you get there, because mm-hmm. you fall into that wrong clou- crowd. And it's like, did you have a sense that, well, I'm intentionally leaving everything I was raised with, or just kind of. Just no. kind of forgot almost instantly. Well, oh,
1: man, I was sort of sheltered, like, I mean, from all this stuff. And 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 then when I got to college, it was like there's booze and women and drugs and all this stuff. And and so all of a sudden, I was like, wow, right? And, and I yeah. started doing what we do when we're alone and we want friends in our life. Well, who do I want to be friends with? What do they do? What do they like? What do I need to do to get them to like me? So very quickly, I had moved up in my job. I was making about... 30 grand a year as a 20 year old kid in a job in college, which, yeah. which was like being a millionaire, <laughs> you know? <And> so, <laughs> so everybody knew I had some money, I you had a car. You could buy a lot of
0: Bud Light with 30 Right, grand.
1: yeah, and I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, you know, we. I could buy beer, I could buy people's way into clubs, all that stuff. Yeah. And so I was doing all that and I became popular, at least I thought that people liked me for who I was and it was really for what I could do for them. Mm-hmm. But I'll never forget, you know, one night uh, I was with this group and Man, one thing had fallen after another. I quit going to church, I was drinking a lot, and then I started smoking a lot of weed, I did LSD, acid, every pill you can think of, ecstasy, All LSD and acid are the same thing, but ecstasy, all that stuff. And then one night I made a really bad choice in my life. I was over at a guy's house, one of the fraternity brothers on a Sunday watching the NFL and drinking too much, and I wanted to drive home. Memphis is not the cab capital of the world, and there was no Uber or any of that stuff then. Mm. I went looking for a ride home, couldn't find anybody, and ran into a room, the bedroom in the back, and there were a bunch of guys, my friends, standing over a bunch of lines of cocaine. I'd never seen it in my life. It was an after-school special thing where, like, that's the one you want to stay away from, Yeah. and uh, I made the bad choice to walk in that room and take a line of cocaine, and, man, I felt like uh, I could run through a wall. I sat there on a couch in this guy's house for about two hours, and yeah. finally, when I calmed down, I drove home and said I'd never do it again. But like I said, I'd lost my community, I wanted friends, I wanted to do whatever it took to, to be accepted, and so that next Friday night I found myself hanging out with the same guys, and this time it wasn't in the back room, it was right there on a coffee table and I walked in. Mm-hmm. And I sat down telling myself I should leave, I should leave, but I bent down and took a line, and next thing you know I took another and another, and, and we'd start going out looking for girls in downtown Memphis and all this stuff. And
0: Was it the feeling or the community that drew you to it more?
1: Both, I think. At first, it was the community. I just wanted to be appreciated or liked and accepted. And then after that, man, it just, this stuff's so addictive, right? Like, I just, I was looking forward to the next week and we could do it. And I made a bunch of unholy vows, right? Like, I'll never do it. I'll never buy, I'll never do it by myself. I'll never buy it. I'll never have the dealer's number. One after another, that fell. You broke them all. I broke them all. Next thing you know, I'm doing it by myself in my apartment, mm. you know, on a, on a Wednesday night. Now I had moved up at this time in my life in at the auto parts company I worked for. I was an outside salesman making almost two hundred thousand dollars a year by the time I was twenty-five years old.
0: Wow. Yeah. So you, you this, this is not a drug that made you unsuccessful. No, you? I, eight to get, five.
1: I was Johnny on the spot. You know. Wow.
0: I mean, you have a lot of successful functional people. Yeah. Who were doing coke.
1: Yeah. No one knew. I mean, I was a broken mess on the inside, and nobody knew it because I had the house, the car, the, all the stuff you're supposed to have as a mm. as a person and you know achieve success. But I was lonely. I hadn't been. I hadn't had a girlfriend forever because I was literally
0: going to work and sitting around doing drugs every day. Yeah, every day. And then this is one of the yeah. things that, like, people talk about, like, marijuana and, like, you know, well, you're functional on it, as mm-hmm. if that's a, a, a selling point or makes it less evil. Sure. It actually makes it more insidious. Yeah. I mean, there's certain things where, like, you know, if you're if you're drinking too much, frankly, there's a lot of warnings that pop up and say, stop. stop. Yep. You're puking. You can't <laughs> stand up. Can't remember anything. Uh, yeah. Whereas you're you're doing something like coke, and it's like. I I can go to work right now. Yeah. Uh, Wow.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to work. I'm doing all things that I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm a broken mess. I'm the loneliest I've ever been in my life. I'm praying barely because at that point my faith was, God, I need something, show up and help me with it. It wasn't any sort of practicing of anything else. Like I said, I was still Baptist but didn't go. Well, one night I walked into a bar with some friends and I saw a girl that I'd known in college and she invited me over to the table, and I was an idiot at the time. I didn't know that that meant she liked me, so I was like, what do you want? <laughs> you know? yeah. I sat down with her, and we talked, and uh, that night, we we just had a wonderful time, even though I was still doing the drugs while yeah. we were you know having the night. Um, and that, that lady is now my wife, Angela. So we met that night. She came in. I, I've never met a woman like her before. I really had just been around one like her before, and we hit it off. We started dating, and we said, you know, a year later, I asked her to marry me. Well, somewhere along the way, she said the man I'm going to marry is going to be Catholic. So, I thought it was you know that was the man for the job. So I went to the first RCIA class and signed up and a lot of converts because of a pretty woman. <laughs> yeah. a she seriously, gave most. up my faith for the woman I, I didn't <laughs> practice for the woman I <laughs> yeah, love. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know we got married. She, at that no, point. she didn't know you
0: were addicted. No, uh, no, she, she had, hit
1: it. She knew that some of the guys around ran around with in college had been doing it, but she just sort of assumed okay they're 24, 25, 26. Surely you know Saint Paul says they put away childish things. right and and, and, and matured but no um i was i was doing it pretty regularly then i was hiding it from her um i would only do enough where it wouldn't you know she wouldn't be able to tell that i was jacked up or or really you know racing on the stuff so you later asked her to marry me and and chris it was like the way our life can be sometimes we just expect life to make us move forward right it's like this is it i'm getting married i gotta stop doing this Mm -hmm. oh i didn't i was doing it the night before i got married wow you know we got married and Shortly after that, I continued my success um, in work and all those things, and kept making more money, and along the way, we decided we wanted to have children, right, and so she comes to me and says I'm pregnant, and uh, I said, that's amazing, and then I felt worried. I was like, well, she doesn't know I've been doing these drugs, and what if our child has an issue because of my mistakes, and I should tell her, but I was such a coward, man. Mm. Like, I just was a coward, I was I was so selfish, and. And those drugs and things like that are vices. They just prey on our innate selfishness, right? Like that's already there. And it's what I want and how I want. I, I talked to her so disrespectfully. You know, I wasn't the husband she deserved. When my son Jacob, who's now 12, and he was born perfectly healthy, was the joy of my life. I wanted a son first. My father, I loved my dad, but he wasn't the dad I always wanted, right? Like I wanted him to spend more time with me. He was always busy working, and he was raised in a way where he didn't have a lot of I love yous, and I'm proud of yous, and all those things, so he couldn't give them.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's most uh, uh, baby boomers. Yeah. Raised by the silent generation. Sure. And Generation yeah. X got that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know. So Jacob comes out healthy, and I'm thinking, this is it. I'm going to be the dad I always wanted to be, and I was when I wanted to be. Yeah. But I was 100% commissioned salesman. I was driven by money, man, and just all of that stuff, and fueling my drug habits. And So shortly after that, my mother comes to us and tells us that she has breast cancer. She wow. had known for a while. She started going through treatments, and then... She came to me and said, you know, it's moved to uh, my lymph nodes, but everything's going to be okay. I'd never been to a doctor's appointment with her, and one day I was traveling in Memphis making my sales calls, and I knew she was up there for a a visit. I said, I'm going to go over there and see if she's there. I go in. They're still there. My father's sitting there and my mother, and the doctor comes in and introduces herself to me and says, I'm sorry this is your first visit, but, Miss Edwards, it's moved from your lymph nodes into your lungs and into your brain, and you have two weeks to two months to live. Boy, that's heavy. Yeah, first time I ever saw my father cry. Um wow. I followed him to their house in Memphis. They had we were building a retirement home where they were from in Mississippi. Uh, both of them were raised on a farm down there. And and I remember my dad went inside. I, I opened the car door of my mother's car, and I just fell in her lap and started crying as a, you know, 30, 35, 36-year-old man. 35-year-old yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just laid my head in her lap, and I said, I don't want you to die, Mom. I don't want you to die. And, she had such faith. She loved the Lord, and she said, "John, I knew this was a possibility, and y'all are going to be all right, and I'm going to be with Jesus." And I was like, "I don't, I don't want to hear that. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like Jacob's Praise not going to know faith, you, brother. Yeah, I mean, she was. She was an angel. I was like, Jacob's not going to know his grandmother. He's not even a year old. And what if we have more kids? And again, selfishness,
0: right? And and so, dude, this this is the setup for the vulnerability thing. Yeah, you it know, is. It's like I have a secret life. No one is going to see it. Yeah. You know, I got to keep this front that you become a slave to. Yeah. But I think that experience of because I know I know what's coming. It yeah. just, and it, it just the experience of cracking a bit and sure. And putting your head in your mom's lap. It's yeah. Like, it's like, yeah. That's a setup to be like I'm I'm a human. Yeah. It is. And she I'm used flawed. to
1: she used to call me her cuddly duckling. Don't repeat that. Anyone <laughs> out there? Right? I'll deny no, no it one, vehemently. No but. one will repeat that. <laughs> yeah, so, but I, I get up. My dad gets in the car. They leave, and I'm just standing there at this at this house I grew up in. And, and I, I'm, it's just hitting me. My mother also asked me to tell my two sisters that what was going to happen because mm. she didn't have the heart to at the time. So I walk up to this big porch, and I kick this center block porch as hard as I could, which was dumb because it was harder than my foot. Yeah, yeah. But I just looked up, and I was like, I hate you, God. Wow. Like, I hate you. Like, Had just, you really
0: talked to him from your heart? Yeah. Like, around this time? Was no, that one of the first no. times you talked to him from your heart? There's I was another vulnerability of, thing, dude. Right. Yeah. It's like, because we, we try to fake God out, but here you yeah. are saying, like, okay, this is actually where I am. It's yeah. like Job griping. Yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah. You know?
1: Well, I, I just was so ashamed of myself, yeah. right? And I didn't want to I didn't want to admit so much that was wrong, even though I knew it. But Ooh. in that moment I just I was like, God, I hate you. If this is the type of God you are, that you're gonna take someone who has served you so perfectly and you're yeah. gonna take her life, but you're gonna leave a lying, drug addict loser like me to live. If that's the type of God you are, I want nothing to do with you and I'll never worship you again in my life. And Whoa. I'm in every word of that. I'm that's in so every good. word. And so I dove deeper and deeper into the drugs, like because I didn't know how to deal with my mother's death. She died shortly after that. And Whoa. and I was at her deathbed when she passed, and I just kicked it into overdrive. I didn't care anymore. At this time, Angela came to me and told me she was pregnant again. And this time it was with, with twins. Yeah. And I was doing more drugs than i ever done in my life. I was drinking 20 beers a night, smoking a pack and a half of cigarettes a night. <sighs> and buddy. and uh, Angela and I were like two ships passing in the night, you know, we were she was handling the kids, and then she would go to bed, and I would sit up and just do line after line in the den, and turn on wow. some baseball game that you know I didn't care about. So she walked up there; she'd it, think I was doing something.
0: That 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 uh, that prayer, it it, it marked a, a turn to a new deeper yeah. darkness. Really, yeah, right. It did. There, I, yeah. like I I I do. I rec- I recommend honest prayers with God, but then at the same time. <laughs> Watch what you pray about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's no. right. I mean, there's the uh, yeah. there's a spiritual dimension. Some people think like I'm just expressing emotion. Yeah. Um, pay attention to your emotions. Be real with yourself. Yeah. God, I feel this way. But then there's the there's the real spiritual reality of like I'm I'm turning right now. Yeah. And something's waiting for you when you do that. Yep. You yep. Know? Because I didn't right after that I didn't just find myself in an
1: addiction to cocaine. It was porn too. Because my and wife and I were like worse. we were just uh pass two ships passing at night. So. That became part of my routine, was watching Born every night. So I'm wow. addicted to multiple things. So there's one night I'm sitting there and a lot of customers have been calling. As I said, I was 100% commission. I was stressed yeah. out to the max. Built this life that I had to keep or raise every year as far as money. Still functioning at work? Yeah, still functioning at work. Um, and one night I was sitting in the den at 2 o'clock. I said, I'm going to go to bed. Usually it's very hard to go to bed when you've done a ton of cocaine. But I laid down the bed that night, was able to go to sleep really quickly. About 20 minutes after that, I, I sat straight up in the bed, and my heart was doing this. And I thought, "This is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Like this is this is what you see. I've done this too long." I fall out of bed. I crawl to our bathroom. My wife didn't hear it. You know, I landed somehow softly on the carpet as a six foot eight guy. Wow. But <laughs> I crawl in the bathroom. I pull myself up on the commode, and I'm just hyperventilating. And oh. and I'm saying, "Lord, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die." And then I felt guilty because I shouldn't be talking to him because I hate him. And but here I just, he is waiting for you, man. Right. <laughs> And I remember thinking, I need to tell Angela to call an ambulance, but I'd rather die here on this floor than, than her know the truth, because if she knows the truth, then I'm going to lose everything, my reputation, my job, my kids, my money, all this mm. stuff. I'm going to lose everything. And so I sat there, and, and, and I, I put my face in a towel, and I calmed down, realized I was having a panic attack, and I swore mm. I wouldn't do it again. So the next morning, I got up. I threw out the drugs, all that. By 4.30 the next day, I was back buying the drugs again. So same scene the next night, two in the morning, get up, go back to bed, wake up twenty minutes later, heart blowing out of my chest, in the bathroom again. And this time I thought, you know what? And I'd I, rather
0: die than let her know I need help. This yep. is this is the, the first thing the devil did to the accuser of our brothers, in yeah. Revelation, the devil's called. They Adam and Eve fell into sin, and then yeah. I, I hid from you because I was I was ashamed. Yep. Yeah. And then it just keeps <laughs> us locked in.
1: Yeah. So um I'm sitting there, and, and I same thing, fall out of bed, crawl in the toilet, and I thought, Lord, I, I can't mm. I can't do this. Like, I, I've got to, I want to call out to you, but I don't. I'm too prideful, yeah. right? But I knew there was a men's conference, one you spoke at back in April in Memphis. Uh, back then, and my father-in-law was uber-Catholic, and had asked me to go every year. I knew they'd have a 100 and whatever priests there to hear yeah. confessions. So I went that weekend, not for any other reason, but to go to confession. I had not told anybody the truth in my life in such a long time and I thought at least I can tell this. So it's
0: facing this this pending death. Yeah. Right? That's like, yeah. okay. So let uh, just get real.
1: Right. And and that's the worst thing about the drug addiction. It's not just the withdrawal and the pain and all that. It's the lying, man. Cause like once you tell one, you gotta tell another and another, it's a house of cards. So I go and I and it's time for confession. I'm doing the walk of shame. I was like, no, I know that priest and no I know that priest. And <laughs> finally I found one I'd never heard his name before and I went in there and I started pouring my soul out. The guy was out of kind of an angry, crotchety priest. He didn't look like he wanted to be there. Yeah. And he probably heard like 50 confessions. But it does and, the job, dude. Right. And here I come dumping all this on Rusty him. Rusty you know? pipe still carries the water. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He looked like he was taking body blows as I kept telling yeah. him about my life. And finally, wow. um, he, you know, he goes to, to ask me if there's anything else. And I said, yeah, I just don't want to get in trouble. I want to be a better husband and father, but I want to get in trouble. And, man, he lost it. He goes, This is, is this about you? You don't want to get in trouble? That's not up to you. This is about God's mercy. Do you really want this in your life? And I started going, like, hey, man, like, why are you yelling at me? I'm already crying. Like, I can't cry any more than I am. Like, last time I did this, Jesus was much nicer than you. You, know I mean?
0: <laughs> you needed that, though,
1: didn't right, you? Right, I did. And so so I, I, I promised to change my life. I went home, poured out the drugs, all that stuff, and I made it for four days. That week was Holy Week. I sold something huge at work, like $230,000 worth of equipment. I was going to make more money in that sale I had all year. Wow. It was Holy Thursday, I was driving back to Memphis and I, was, I said, I just gotta celebrate, right? And for me that meant doing drugs. So I called this dealer after I promised God I was done with it. He didn't answer for a while, I was supposed to be picking up my son Jacob. Um, I don't make it there, I go to the dealer's house and it turns out the police are watching his house. So I get in my car, make it about a mile down the road, they pull me over, DEA throws me in the back of a Tahoe take me to downtown Memphis, which is one of the worst jails in the country. I mean, it's top three in murders every year Memphis. In the jail? Yeah, or just in Memphis. Uh So you can imagine the people are being brought in there. So I'm sitting in this car going downtown, and my wife doesn't know where I am. These two police officers are sitting sitting in the front, and they're mad because they're about to get off work, and here I come, and they got to sit in this line Mm -hmm. to drop me off. This one police officer looks in the rearview mirror. I'll never forget it. And and he, he looked at me, and he goes, man, you don't look like you've ever been in trouble in your life. I said I hadn't. I've just been stupid, and 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 I just all I want to do is call my wife. And he showed me this great mercy. He got my phone out of the trunk and let me call my wife. So I call Angela. She answers. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Where are you? Are you? Are you, are you hurt? What's going on? And I said, Angela, I'm in the back of a police car in downtown Memphis, wow, wow. arrested for a felony charge of cocaine. Wow,
0: right. And she goes, I hate you,
1: you know. And she hangs up the phone. She knew, she had her answer. She
0: knew something was wrong. It just all clicked in right there. Yeah,
1: she knew something was wrong. So. I turn my attention to jail. I go in there. They take all my stuff. I sit there until about four in the morning. I saw people get, saw a guy get stabbed. I saw some people fighting. I, I, just crazy stuff. Wow. They take me to. John, I
0: can't believe, I mean, really, like, so yeah. far, I'm I'm looking at you thinking, I know the redeemed John. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing, dude. I just got to say that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's all the like, Lord, man. Anyone
0: in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. Like, yeah. literally, the guy you're describing is not even sitting in front of me
1: right now. Yeah, yeah. Praise God for that. That's, there's two <laughs> heroes in this story. It's not me. It's Jesus and my wife. <laughs> oh, you know? man. And so I, I, they give me all this stuff, like the stuff you see in the movies, a bag with the toilet paper. And I wear a size 16 shoe, so I was kind of like, what are you all going to do with that? And they yeah. actually had 16 Crocs in there. I couldn't believe it. I oh, can't buy goodness. them at Target, but they had those in there. But I go in, and I go down the cell block, and I'm just praying I'm going to be in one by myself because it's 4 in the morning, slept in 24 hours, hadn't eaten. Yeah. You know? and, and all of a sudden I walked to this cell, and I watched this door open. They tell me to walk in in these nasty bunk beds and I turn around and I just watch this door go doof, 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 boom, and then stop. And I thought, that's it, my life's over. For the first time since I was a kid, I can't go anywhere. If I want to, I can't eat. If I want to go to the bathroom, it's in front of God and everybody. So I turned around I saw this nasty bunk bed and thank goodness and their blessing, they gave me two blankets, so I threw one down on the bottom bunk. I laid on it and I pulled one over my head and I passed out by the grace of God. Yeah. Next morning I wake up and I'm still under the blanket and I think, man, this is a nightmare. Like, thank goodness, God, I'm going to stop. Thank you for the warning. I sat up, and my head hit the bottom of a steel bunk bed, and I realized I was in jail. I throw my legs over the side. I start to shake and, and just rock back and forth, and I'm going, no, 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 no. Like the feeling in the bathroom oh, again. Yeah, so yeah. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to lose my wife, my job, my kids, everything. Everybody's going to know. whole is going to be Everybody's right. going to know. Yeah, the house of cards is coming down. Yeah. And in that moment, Chris, I felt a peace that I, I, I can't even— ex- I want to cry thinking about it. It's like getting huh. goosebumps. It's just like, yeah. I, in all the midst of that, all of a sudden I felt my body just slow down and the realest, the truest things I ever said in my life came out of my wow. out of my voice and I just said, at least now I don't have to lie anymore. Like at least oh, now baby. everybody will know who I am.
0: Praise God.
1: And I hit my knees and I just said, how did I get here? Like, how did I, how did I mess my life up so much? And, and my life went back to the day that I joined that fraternity and I walked away from Jesus Christ. hmm and so I, I sat there, and I just said, Lord, I don't, I don't even know how to do this anymore. Mm. Like, I, I have hated you, and I am so sorry for that, and I'm, it wasn't your fault, and I, I'm my own man, and I made my own choices, and I'm, I'm so sorry, and if you'll just, I don't even know how to do this, but if you'll just have me, mm. like, I'll give you my life. All I want to do is just to be the <laughs> husband and father I was supposed to be, and if you'll give me that chance, I'll give you my life. I don't even know what it means, but it's yours. Take it. Praise right? God. Take it, and...
0: Bro, that's the most beautiful prayer I've ever heard. Yeah.
1: And I just, and I, and I just, I got up and and he took me through all these moments, like when I was walking kids through vacation Bible school, and when I was going on mission trips, and when I was helping those friends at those special friends camps, and the joy that was in my life. <sighs> and he's like, That's who I want you to be again. Like, I want you to come home, son. And and so very shortly after that, the bailiff opens the door and 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 she tells me I have a visitor. It's my wife, which I didn't expect. She means what she says, so I didn't expect her to come get me. And uh-huh. and uh, I walk in the Law and Order scene with the glass and the payphone, and it's her, and my mother-in-law, and she's crying, and I'm crying. My mother-in-law's crying because she's probably like, "They got him finally," you yeah. know. <laughs> mother-in-law's probably crying tears of joy,
0: but, right? <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's said it said that that Peter never forgave Jesus for healing his mother-in-law. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Well, that <laughs> was just, I yeah, love my funny. mother-in-law John loves yeah, his I do. mother-in-law she's amazing. She's just kidding around. we got a great relationship <laughs> yeah. now yeah.
1: But uh, I, I'm about to say like, Honey, um, and Angela says stop She goes, I'm not going to divorce you It has nothing to do with you and everything To do with the vows I made to God in the church that day All I heard was I'm not going to divorce you <laughs> Right? And, wow. and so I went back to my cell She said, you can't come home You've got to come home, get your stuff We're not going to be there And then you got to go to your dad's farm My mother obviously passed this point And I I will figure things out after that. So I go back to my cell. I sit there. My uh, my sister calls. I get a hold of my sister with my one phone call. She says, "I'm coming to get you. I'll take you by your house and take you down to dad's." And this is Good Friday, right? So I went in on Holy Thursday. I'm coming out on Good Friday. Wow. (laughs) And so I go outside of the jail, expecting to see my sister. It's not my sister. It's my father. My father and I feel in that moment like a kid that had broken something in the house and was about to get punished for it. Right? It, It just my father was very domineering and I mean, I loved him, but he was very punishing and very um, disciplined. And, and when I saw him I, it, being six, eight and, and 270 or whatever I am now and him being six foot and 82 years old, I thought here it comes. And I walked up and he said, son, he started walking towards me. And I just braced myself for whatever was coming. <laughs> and he grabbed me and he pulled me to him and he hugged me and he said, I love you. I, he had, I, I don't ever remember him telling me that he loved me in my life before that moment. And he just embraced me and he said, let's oh. go home. And so he put me in the car, he told me to call my work, they'd found out and I had to explain all that. He took me home to get clothes and a suit for court, I had to go on Monday. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, oh. so, I, 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 go, so I go down to his house and I'm there on Holy Saturday, wake up Sunday on, on on Easter Sunday and I just have this desire to go to mass. I never had a desire to go to mass. I, married, I became Catholic to marry my wife, period. Yeah. And so uh, there's this Catholic room in his small town. It really is a room. It's not a church. There's a traveling priest and a yeah. sister that helps yeah. with communion when, when he's not there and communion services. So I asked Dad to borrow his car. I went there, and nobody was there. And I thought, Lord, really, the one time I want to go to Mass in 10 yeah. years and yeah. I can't yeah. go. Yeah. yeah. So the sister pulls up. She says, what are you doing? I go, I just want to go to Mass. She says, we're down the road. There's too many people. It's Easter. Follow me. So I went and I followed her down there. I walked in. It's this priest that I'd seen once before in five years, and my wife made me go to church down there mm-hmm. and never spoken to the guy. I sit down. He does a, a, an amazing mass, but I'm surrounded by people and their families, and it's very hard because I just want to be with mine. Mm-hmm. I go for the door, and as I reach the door, this hand hits my shoulder, and I turn around. I'm like, who's touching me? I don't know anybody in here. It's this priest, and he says, hello, John. He remembered my name. <laughs> I don't know how because I never talked to him. I guess Call my wife told name. him years ago, and he looked at me, and he said, I don't know where your family is, and why they're not here right now, but God wants me to tell you everything's gonna be all right. And he just <laughs> turned around and said, I hope to see you again, and he walked off. Because I went to my dad's car and I started bawling, and I said, I don't know what this is, but I'm gonna change my life. So I went home, uh, I checked myself into rehab, my wife walked all the way through that process with me. <laughs> yeah. um, Praise God. Yeah, that first night I was home, I was laying in my bed, she was sleeping in my son's, because she was hurt, and. I sat there and realized, like, I can't just be comfortable in my own bed, in my own house again. i got to be a different man. I can't just stop drinking and all that stuff. So I go looking for a Bible on my side of the room. I probably should have looked on hers because there were probably 40 over there. (laughs) Right, right. I opened the drawer, can't find a Bible, but I found Father Larry Richard's book, Be a Man. And I read it from cover (laughs) to cover that night. My wife woke up at 5.45 in the morning and says, what are you doing up? And I said, I never went to sleep. You know, like, I I don't want to be this man anymore and to be different, I need help and and this book is showing me, at least telling me what i got to start, where I've got to go. and So I started praying every day, Chris, and I started reading. I read 70 Catholic books my first year. Mm. Uh, and and I, I had a priest take me under his wing. He said, you're going to go to Mass every day at 8.15. You're going you're to lecture, which I didn't even know what that meant. You know? And then you're going you're to come to confession to me Christ, every Friday. God. So shortly after that, you know, I go to that conference again the next year, and I'm really involved in my faith, and I'm becoming yeah. the man, at least trying to, that I think the Lord wants me to be. And I go to that conference. There's a man there I see later at my parish that night who's gone to confession for the first time in 20 years. He starts going off about all the stuff he's done wrong. We were in a public place. And I said, you don't need to share some of those things. And (laughs) and so he said, I don't know why I feel this way. And I said, you had a moment with the Holy Spirit. He didn't understand it. Cradle Catholic. I know God. I know Jesus. I don't know much about the Spirit. So he started asking me. I started to tell him the devil convicted me. You're not the right guy. You're a cokehead. Who are you doing talking about Jesus? Shut your mouth. You're never gonna be mm-hmm. any more than that. So I did. But he wouldn't let me. He kept chasing me around. He was a salesman and he was persistent. He finally said, let me just take you to dinner one night. So a couple of nights later, you know, I went to dinner with him. I'd gone home that Sunday. And I, and I said, God, you want me to talk to this guy about the Holy Spirit? What do you want me to say? And I sat down with a legal pad and Chris, eight pages later and four hours later, I had everything from the Ruah, the breath over the water in Genesis to Pentecost and beyond. And I sat down with him, he came into the restaurant, I looked like a lawyer, I had everything out. I was like, sit down. <laughs> You know, I worked very hard on this, you know, and he sat down and I told him all dude. this. And at the end, he goes, This is amazing. You should start a men's group. And I said, I said I'm not your guy, dude. Like, no. <laughs> all right, that's our next
0: episode. Yeah, sure. We're going to, we're going to, I'm going to talk in a whole episode with you. Sure. About how you went to men's ministry. But I'll tell you what, you go from faith to total rejection to coke head to almost dying to like full circle, like you're the Lord. Calls you not only to himself but to ministry, yeah, like within the same breath. And I think of Peter's calling, yeah, like I'm not worthy, Lord, come follow me. And he didn't stop it like, literally, same breath, you'll be a fisher of men, yeah. I'm re- it's part of the healing and restoration. Uh, but 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 before we go there, which is we're gonna tackle the next one, sure. Um, and we're over time, but we're gonna go over a little more, dude. It's okay, you guys stay with me here. <laughs> I- I'm riveted, dude. Yeah, I knew I was gonna be like, I'm gonna hit play and just sit back and watch. <laughs> Thanks. Um, How'd your wife forgive you? Because she is another hero in the story. Yeah, and that's a that's a serious process. And and I know. Um, and I, it, gosh, we could do a whole episode on anonymous groups and rehab and yeah, all that stuff. Sure. Which is, I would just say, if you have a problem, you can't solve it by yourself. Amen. It's and that's okay. That's not weakness. It's strength to admit that. Yeah. So get help. Um, but the people who often don't get help or, or get heard. Yeah. And that usually just ends in a broken marriage. Yep. And most people in these anonymous groups are like, well, she left me and I can't blame her. You yeah, know? that's right. Uh, your wife did the her- heroic thing and yeah. the right thing and um, and hoping in the mercy of God. It's like, <laughs> it's, I love what she said. This yeah. is about my vow to the Lord. Yeah. yeah. She uh, had a how did face. she forgive, though? Well, she,
1: first of all, her faith, you know, and it was very hard for her. I mean, I could tell by looking at her eyes sometimes she just absolutely wanted to hate me, yeah. you know, because I'd hurt her so bad. And. And what I'll tell people that you know, have had addictions before, the selfishness doesn't stop just because you stopped doing the drugs. So it's like, I wanted them to, to make mm. me feel this way, I want them to make me feel this way now still. But you have mm. to realize like, a lot of time went into building the person that she sees you as or he yeah. sees you as, and there's gonna take a long time for them to see you as, and a lot of work to see you as something different. So I just, I wanted my wife to forgive me right then and there, and it would anger me when she did. And I'm like, don't you see me praying? Don't you see me reading the Bible? Don't you see me going to church every day? I'm doing everything you wanted me to do. And finally, God sat me down one day in prayer, and he's like, dude, you're not going to fix her. I am. Mm. You need to worry about what I think of you and what I want you to do, and let me handle that. And so what I did was start to concentrate on growing into it, not trying to show Angela I was somebody different, but to become somebody different.
0: Wow, to earn the trust, right? Yeah,
1: and so she, over time, you know, she went to Cursillo one weekend, and she still had a lot of, of the, the anger and the hate. And there was a deacon, you met in Memphis, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. <laughs> yeah, he gave a grace talk at Cursillo and it basically showed her like, she looked at this like, why am I made to suffer God? Like, why me? Why did I have to go through this? She'd already been hit by a car in college, oh, crossing the street, had a, a, a rough 10 years there. And in that talk Deacon Jeff gave, she started to realize like, yeah, this is just suffering if that's all I'll let it be. Mm. Right, but if I embrace this and I tie it to the cross of our Lord, and I look at this as like, I, I don't like the way this happened, but Lord, I prayed so many times for you to give me, for John to be the husband I wanted him to be. Yeah. And the, whether I like the way it happened or not, he's becoming that man. Mm. And so I can either sit here and be angry about it, or we can go out and embrace this. I was going to give my first witness talk ever the following weekend, and she was not happy about it. Wow. She came home from that Castillo and she said, I now realize that we had to go through the suffering. The Lord Taylor made it for us. But our marriage is becoming what I want it to become. Praise God. And we're going to use it to help other people.
0: Praise God for her mercy. Yeah. Really. And and that's her path to becoming saint. Yeah. Insert your name here, right? I think she should
1: already (laughs) be in. Like, I don't (laughs) know what else she has to do. That's my opinion. You burned up all her purgatory time. That's right. She's going straight. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. That's right. (laughs) Oh, Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful
0: for you sharing all that, man. Listen, if you have a a friend or family member or kid or spouse who's just gone off the deep end, yeah, part of their healing can be drawing boundaries. I'm not saying to be an enabler, all right? Uh, But I would say this, never despair. Never lose confidence that the grace of God, which is not earned, this this love story we have with the Lord is not about our love for him, it's about his love for us. This grace and this love can change anyone, can change anything, can make a a person entirely new. The guy you sit sitting here is not the guy in that story. By the grace of God, anything's possible. Uh, let's wrap with this, man. What would you say to the person watching and thinking, yeah, I'm living a double life, and I don't know what, what that means, if that's because they're addicted to money, cocaine, pornography, whatever it is, yeah. um, but but they're keeping a facade up, yeah. and they feel fake. Right. Uh, what would you say to that person right now? Just, you could look in the camera yeah. and talk to them. Yeah.
1: Just We're all broken, right? I mean, Jesus called sinners. You look at Peter, you look at Matthew, you look at everybody, he works with broken people. That's where he loves to do his work, and mm-hmm. You may be struggling and feeling like that and there's a reason you're feeling like that. The Lord's allowing that to show you there's a different way. And so you just have to become vulnerable and we are I'm sure we're going to talk about that more but but you have to become vulnerable. You have to admit what's wrong in your life and come to grips with it and then start to do something about it. Then take it to the Lord. You're not the sum of your sins. You're the sum of God's love for you. And if if you don't start to believe that, you're always going to be stuck here. But if you can believe that God can change your life the way that he changed mine and you give him the opportunity That's what he's waiting for. He's looking at you like the father and the prodigal son, right? He wasn't angry and yelling at his son when he returned. He saw him coming on the horizon and he rushed out to meet him and he embraced him and he gave him the finest of what he had. Mm. And that's what's waiting for you. But we have free will. And so God is not gonna force you to love him. That's how much he loves you. (laughs) So you're gonna have to choose to turn to him and to think and believe that he can do anything. And it says that in scripture. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's not about you. It's about what he can do through you. Just believe in it. Give yourself that chance. Walk out of that prison cell and allow the Lord to help you be somebody different. Mm.
0: The real prison is that is that lie. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lord, for John. Thank you for your love for all of us. John Edwards, just a guy in the pew. Check that out. I love you, man. I'm I love so grateful for sharing that. Yeah. All yeah. right, man. God bless you guys. Thanks for listening. Man, wasn't that great? Listen. If you don't want to be happy, be sure not to subscribe. But if you want a more joyful life, the kind of life that God created you for, the kind of life Jesus promised when he said, I came to give you life to the full, then make sure you hit subscribe and share this channel with everybody you know.